Well, good morning, everybody. Morning, morning, morning. Well, great for those who've managed to uh, escape the lure of the football this morning and uh, come and join us today. Uh, I know that uh, some of us are kind of wanting to know what the score is, but, but if you, um, uh, the, the fact that there's a football match on, it reminds me of the uh, occasion when a, a vicar in a local parish whose team were in the cup final, uh, he was in front of his church and he said to the church, he said, and if we win today... We shall sing, now thank we all our God. And if we lose today, we shall sing, O God, our help in ages past. And if it goes to extra time and penalties, we shall sing, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. So anyway, it's great to be here this morning. Now, I'm going to be speaking this morning from Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible uh, or you want to turn it on or look it up, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 is set in the context of a uh, feast. Uh, One of the prominent Pharisees of the day uh, had invited all his friends and all his co-Pharisees to a big meal and Jesus was invited along as well. But when Jesus was there, he had several things to say about the feast that he was, he was there for. He noted how there were quite a few Pharisees who were after the best seats. Uh, they were trying to go up there and he said, you know, when you come to a feast... Always choose the lowest seat, because then you may be exalted in the presence of your friends and be told to come up higher. So, uh, and then he gave instructions about giving feasts, so that when you give a feast, make sure you invite the poor and the crippled and the lame, people who would never normally come to a feast, people who were the outcasts. They wouldn't ever invite you back. Invite them. And it's just a real encouragement for all of us, isn't it, that we should um, always make sure we're thinking of the poor, thinking of those who are at the outcasts in society, which is one of the reasons why we do things like helping hands and cap and all those things. We're doing what Jesus commanded us to do. Always a good thing. And then Jesus gave another parable in response to uh, a comment from one of the other guests. And you'll find this uh, starting in verse 15. I'm just going to read it to you. It says this, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've been or what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in 
so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The background to this parable is that the Jews, being God's chosen people, had been invited to the banquet of all banquets, the banquet that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 19 at the end of the Bible. It's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 25 in the middle of the Old Testament. It's the, it's the party of all parties when, the, when Jesus and his church finally get it together. All pain and sickness and trials and tribulations have all gone and we're all going to celebrate and you and I we can be there so could the Jews have been there the trouble was they weren't really sure whether they wanted to be there or not because the trouble was that some of the people that might have been there might be the sort of people that Jews didn't want to associate with because they didn't really want to associate with the poor, the crippled, the blind and, and especially not the Gentiles. But there's going to be this fantastic party. Now, you know, there are some Christians you know, who, who rather fancy a rather austere Jesus. A Jesus that wouldn't like to party. But of course, the fact is that Jesus was always at party. He was at one here. He was at, this first miracle was done in Cana of Galilee at a party. Because there are some Christians who think that Jesus ought to turn wine into water. But Jesus in turning water into wine. So when you feast, never feel ashamed of the fact you're feasting. It's good to feast. Don't feel guilty, but enjoy it with all your heart. Mind the calories if you need to, but enjoy it. But also, Jesus not only knew how to feast, but he knew how to fast. And both were part of his life. And they should both be part of our lives as well. And so don't not fast because you think you might feel a bit ashamed. Uh, other people might think you're a bit weird or a bit strange. If you're going to, you know, if you do fast, do it like Jesus did, with a smile on his face. He said, anoint your face with oil when you fast. Because actually the fact that science has recognised that fasting is actually very good for you. It's really good for you. It's good for your soul and it's good for your body. It's good for everything. I mean, Isaiah said that this feast will have the finest of meats and the best wine. And so some, some people want to spiritualize this and just say, well, heaven is going to be brilliant, isn't it? It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be like a feast. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't feasting in heaven, just as there is on the earth. I mean, after all, Jesus, after he was resurrected, he actually ate, didn't he? He ate fish. I mean, obviously he had a resurrected body, but it could still eat. Will we be eating and drinking in heaven? Well, I mean, I don't see why not. God invented eating and drinking. I mean, so I don't see why we should sort of suddenly find us not doing that in heaven. I mean, whether we shall need to eat and drink to keep our new bodies going, I don't know. Uh, I'm content to leave the details up to God, but it just sounds rather good, doesn't it, to be able to eat and drink uh, when we get to heaven. It's going to be the party of all parties. So I said that some of the Pharisees, though, they, they, they didn't really want to go to this party. They thought that they wouldn't possibly like this guest, the guest list that they were going. They might, might meet some unclean Gentiles when they got there. 
I don't know if you've ever been invited to a party or some kind of gathering and you didn't really want to go. So you made up an excuse as to why you weren't going to go there. And of course, the thing is that normally when we make up an excuse, the other party can really see through the excuse, can't they? If it's just an excuse, they'll know it's an excuse. I mean, in this case, I mean, there's one guy that says, I bought a field and I must go and look at it. I mean, who suddenly buys a field or buys a house or buys anything without looking at it first? But he says, I bought it and I've got to go and look at it. Well, it didn't have to be done today. It could be done tomorrow. It wasn't important. The guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I've got to go and try them out. I mean, it's like he was saying, I've got to bought myself a, new, a car, but I haven't tried it out yet. You know, I mean, who of us would go and buy a car without actually looking in it, trying it, seeing if it was any good? You know, and, and the, the guy that was, was married, he could have brought his wife along with him. You know, there's no reason why. They were excuses. I mean, genuine reasons are one thing, but made up reasons are another. And of course, if the first reason, first excuse doesn't wash, there's usually another, you know, 20 or 30 reasons that people come up with as to the reason why they didn't come. Of course, all, all excuses have got a grain of truth in them. The guy probably had bought a field. The guy probably had bought five yoke of oxen. And he probably had got married. It's just that didn't need to be done right there and then. I mean, because excuses can say some truth or else they'd be called a lie. And most of us don't like to be considered to be liars. But when this invitation of the party of a lifetime came and they'd, they'd sort of agreed that they were going to come first of all. The invitation had been sent out beforehand and now it was the day, the day of the party. And they suddenly found they couldn't come. When this invitation came, the other things just seemed to be too important. Now, I don't know about you, but we've all made excuses in our lives. I know I've made excuses in my life. How much better it is just to say, I did it. It's usually much safer. It usually stops you getting into a whole lot of trouble elsewhere. You would not have got in the first, you know, if you'd said it in the first place, I've messed up you'd have probably made much better off. It's been said that there are three kinds of excuses. The first kind of excuse is an outright denial, where people say, it wasn't me, even when it obviously was you. I mean, there are certain politicians that come to mind when you think of this. The more evidence that they seem to produce to say it was you, the more and more and more and more it seems to be they deny it was me. And the strange thing is, the more they deny it's them, the more people seem to not care that it was them and they did it and they were lying and goodness knows what. But there are some cases like that, aren't there, that where, where some people deny it wasn't them, even when it was. Second kind of denial is it's not my fault. There was some other reason why I did this. Someone or something else is to blame. 
You know, it's the, the, the kind of thing when I was a school teacher, the dog ate my homework. You know, it's that sort of uh, thing, an excuse. I was really tired when you said that. And that sort of thing. I wasn't, you didn't make it clear that's what you wanted. You know, all sorts of excuses. I'm sure some of you have heard these excuses that were put on claim forms for insurance companies after an accident. Here's the first one. I was driving along the motorway when the police pulled me over onto the hard shoulder. Unfortunately, I was in the middle lane and there was another car in the way. Second one, going to work at seven o'clock this morning, I drove out of my drive straight into a bus. The bus was five minutes early. <laughs> the accident happened because I had one eye on the lorry in front, one eye on the pedestrian, and the other on the car behind. <clears throat> I started to slow down, but the traffic was more stationary than I thought. The claimant had collided with a cow in this one. The questions and answers on the claim form were, question, what warning was given by you? Answer, horn. Question, what warning was given by the other party? Answer, moo. <laughs> An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car and vanished. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. <laughs> I'd been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. And last one. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law and headed over the embankment. <laughs> so that's the, I, there, I, there was a reason why I gave an excuse. The third type of excuse is it's just not actually very important. It doesn't matter. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, it doesn't matter. The trouble is with that one is that there's always someone who actually does get hurt when you think something's not very important, and that's you. Because when you pretend that something is actually not really wrong, but you know, it can just be lived with. It actually leaves a little mark on your soul, which of itself may not be very important at that moment. But over years, it can grow and grow. Every time you get a little bit angry and you say, it doesn't matter, the trouble is, in the end, you become an angry person. So never ever say that something is unimportant. In the end, it changes our personalities in ways we would never have thought of at the beginning. Now, there's lots of excuses that come to mind when we, people talk about faith. And I, you know, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey today. There may be some of you here who've, uh, you know, who don't actually really think that you believe in God. You've been making excuses all your life as why you are not uh, a, a believer, as someone who's following Jesus with all your heart. But actually, when you face up to it, you know, some of the excuses that you've put as to the reason why you won't believe are not the real issue. 
I've just been reading a really good book. I recommend it to you. It's called Miracles Today by a chap called Craig Keener. And this author has collected literally hundreds of examples of amazing healings. Places where people, where Christians have prayed for someone who was ill and that person has got miraculously healed. Uh, you know, one or two on their own, you know, you might think is a bit, you know, perhaps a coincidence. But when it happens time and time and time again, you, you, you know, he, he actually showed this evidence to some, out, some, some noted atheists. Atheists who start with the presupposition that there is no God. And so therefore, if there is no God, there can be no miracles. Logical. And so no matter what evidence he put against up to them, they would always say there must be some reason, some explanation, somehow to explain what you're showing me, but it can't be that this is a miracle. Because miracles are impossible because there is no God. You can see how it works around in a circle. If someone's determined to say that there is no God, then they will, they will try and explain away. They will give excuses for everything. You know, if you're one of these people who say there's not enough evidence for God or no evidence for God, ask yourselves, what evidence would convince you? What evidence do you need? You know, maybe you've had experienced one miracle. Something you couldn't explain. Something that happened to you. You kind of thought, well, it must maybe possibly be God but I don't know. So you've asked for another miracle or another miracle. And, and you know, the trouble is, if you keep on doing that, you know, you're, you're not ever, ever going to move forward in faith. There has to come a time when you say, the evidence is overwhelming. God is real. And you have to give your life to Jesus. You know, in the parable, there was in the parable, Jesus told another parable one day called the rich man and Lazarus. And in that parable, he says to uh, the rich man, he says, you know, there are people who won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. And of course, that's what happened, isn't it? Jesus came back from the dead and people won't believe. And so there's, you know, no excuse there's no, no, you know, you, there are some people who just won't convince because actually they don't want to be convinced. But listen, I want to tell you this morning that if you're one of those people that actually realizes that you're making excuse after excuse after excuse about why you won't believe, and if that one doesn't work, then you're going to bring another excuse up. Please stop. Please stop. Please let today be the day when you say, God, I'm sorry. I just keep putting excuses in the way. And, for, and, 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 and now for once, I'm going to actually believe what my eyes have seen. You know, C.S. Lewis said, a rather, I love C.S. Lewis, he's a great author. One day he said, Christianity, if true, is of ultimate importance. There's nothing more important. If Christianity is true, 
There's nothing, nothing, nothing more important. If it's false, it is of no importance. We might as well all go home. If Christianity is false, let's disappear. What Christianity cannot be is of moderate importance. It's either everything or it's nothing. It's the time to stop making excuses. I don't know if you've ever had to stand before your boss or your headmaster or someone to explain why you acted the way that you did. Because one day you're going to actually have to stand in front of God and explain why you said every single word that you said. And it will be very, really helpful, be the best thing you could ever do if on that day, as well as on this day, you actually admit and say, it was me, I was wrong. Because excuses in that day won't wash because God knows everything. He knows your heart. So today, let today be the day when you give in to God. Psalm 51 reminds us that God never despises a broken and a contrite heart. And so every one of us here, where's the kind of heart we need? Let's not pretend that we're all white or even a slight shade of grey. Let's, let's acknowledge our wrongdoing for what it is and ask God for forgiveness because that will always come. But for most of us here, our guests, we've crossed that faith barrier. Our excuses are of a different kind. You know, we say, sometimes we say we don't have time to pray. Yet we have time to watch the television. Several hours a week, maybe. We don't have time to pray. We say sometimes we don't know our Bibles very well. And we come up with several excuses as to the reasons why we don't know our Bibles very well. We say, I don't like reading. Or it doesn't stick in my mind. But you know, if today, if, if, if for any day in history, the Word of God is more accessible to everyone than it ever has been. If there are, I agree, some people don't like reading, find it difficult. Well, then get an audio tape. You can get the Bible on audio. You can listen to it to get it into your mind. If you find that difficult, you'll find there are videos with, with, with the Bible on the videos. It's acted out in front of you. There's all sorts of ways that you can improve your Bible knowledge. We just don't need excuses. We only go to church occasionally, some of us. And we make up a whole host of reasons, lots of other things that are more important than going to church. I came across this a little while ago. Uh, Ten reasons why I don't wash. All right, think about this in terms of why you don't go to church. Uh, ten reasons why I don't wash. Number one, I was forced to wash as a child. People who wash are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than others. There are so many different kinds of soap, I could never decide which one to use. I used to wash, but it got boring. I only wash at Christmas and Easter. None of my friends wash. I'll start washing when I'm older. 
I really don't have the time. The bathroom isn't warm enough. And people who make soap are only after your money. You can come up with all sorts of reasons why you don't come to church. But listen, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe he's your saviour, if he believes the one who went to a cross and died for you, then you should surely want to be with other people who think the same way that you do. You don't find football fans who say they love football but never ever watch a football match or go. And in the same way, if you're someone who says, I believe in Jesus, he's my saviour, then this is the place that you should be. Because the trouble is we can always get to the stage where we think that Christianity is of moderate importance. That's where we sometimes live our lives. Now, don't get me wrong, we could all pray more. We could all read our Bible more. We could all go to more services and do all sorts of things. And that's not what I'm saying. Because I don't want any of us to, to live and do things out of a guilt complex. And there are people who at times, you know, try and feed that. They try to say, you ought to do more, you ought to do more, you feel guilty. I'm not trying to say you should feel guilty about things. Do you know, there are often some really, really good reasons why we can't do more than we do. Failing health sometimes, caring for a relative. All sorts of reasons why we possibly don't do as much as we could. And you know, I couldn't spend every, all day, every day doing spiritual activities. I don't think I've made a very good monk. Just uh, this last week, we've been up in North Yorkshire, some lovely places uh, in uh, uh, there, some old priories where they used to spend, uh, you know, literally every day, every hour of every day doing something or other. And I don't think I'd have made a very good monk. You know, work, rest, and play are three good things that God instituted. And we need to do all of them. They were introduced before Mars bars came into introdu introduction. Work, rest, and play are three good things. So in those things, it's great. But a part of it, a real good part of it, should be given to God. So don't ever do something because someone pressurizes you or makes you feel guilty in doing so. Your time and your money are yours to steward as you wish. And there have been lots of times when people have come to me and say, Phil, will you do this? And I've said no for all sorts of good reasons because we're not to be part of someone else's agenda, however good that agenda may be. But neither do we want to be those kind of people who've always got an excuse for why we won't do something. And if the excuse we give turns out to be too flimsy, we'll find another excuse and another excuse. On the big scale, you may find out that you've one day missed out on the party in heaven because you gave too many excuses. You're invited to that party one day at the end of time. You're invited. Don't give God an excuse this morning as to why you're not going to be there. The, master, the words of the master in the parable are stark. They said, not one of those who were invited will taste of my banquet. 
stark words. And on the small scale, your excuses may be depriving you and others around you of the blessings of giving and serving. And one day, hearing those amazing words that God wants to speak to you and to me. So once, once to, when, he, when he meets us in heaven, he wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So this morning, I just want to leave that challenge with you. Ask someone who's not yet in faith, but you realize it's excuses you've been giving. This morning, I want you to stop making excuses and give your life to God and tell him you're sorry. And if you're someone here this morning who is a man or woman of faith, but you know you've been making all sorts of excuses why other things are more important than following Jesus with all your heart, then I want you to ask God's forgiveness and to recognize your excuses for what they are. So if the band would like to come up, I'm just going to lead you with a short little meditation. And then we're going to sing our last song. Psalm 139 is a brilliant psalm. Go home and read it if you like. But at the end of it, it says this. So just with every eye closed, every heart open, this is what it says. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's read that again. Search me, God, and know my heart. Let's ask God this morning to search us, to know my heart, to expose my heart, to recognize what's going on inside it. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me, any way in which I'm avoiding you, any way, Lord, in which I'm just using an excuse to cover up for something I don't want to recognize. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, search our hearts today. May they be clean, pure, holy hearts where you live and reign as King and Lord. Lord, purify our hearts today. Cleanse us, Lord, from everything that displeases you and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.